Welcome back to Getting to the Bottom of It. I'm your host, Lizzie Jensen. This week, we're joined with GW Professor of Physics, Neil Johnson, to speak with us about his recently published research on artificial intelligence, particularly the possible misuse of artificial intelligence by bad actors. Thank you so much for being here, Professor Johnson. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's an honor. Of course, of course. So, Professor Johnson, you were recently published in PNAS Nexus, a journal for the Oxford University Press, after completing the first ever quantitative scientific study predicting how AI can be manipulated by so-called bad actors. Can you just tell me a little bit about your research and its findings? Yes, yeah, so what we really wanted to do is, like you do in any problem, if you wanted to understand something, the first thing you want to do is kind of map it out. What does the thing look like? Imagine you're kind of arriving to the earth and you wanted to understand what's going on around GW. We better know where GW is on the map. You better know what city it's in, what it's connected to, what the modes of transport are, etc. We did exactly the same thing for the online world. Because if I said to you, what does the online world look like? And where are the bad actors? So a lot of us might have the idea that, which is the first idea that I had, was that there was some kind of, maybe, you know, maybe it looks a little bit like a city, that there's all the kind of good people in the middle, kind of talking to each other. And then kind of as you go further out, you get into the kind of fringe areas and way, way out, you get, the further you go out, the more kind of extreme and fringe it would be. And so you'd think that bad actors, particularly those who are going to be using and are already using AI, would be somehow out there on the, in the fringe, kind of ready to invade. But what we found was complete opposite of that. What we found is that actually it's, it, it's because of what the, the online world looks like. The, um, anyone listening to this knows very well, particularly if you're under the age of 50, you know very well that there's more than two platforms. You know that there are things like Discord, there's Gab, there's Telegram, there's all these smaller platforms and they act like a kind of glue that holds together the rest of the online universe for bad actor activity, not for kind of people who love pets or, you know, communities that love pets, communities that love pizza or sports communities or whatever, whatever it is. You know, they, they pretty much live in one platform or another. But bad actor activity, particularly as it's been pushed from one platform to another, they created these kind of bridges, these kind of highways between them so that in some sense, it doesn't matter what Facebook and X, formerly Twitter, do because it's like pushing the problem into a neighboring area and that neighboring area problem will just come back at you. So when we looked at where bad actors currently sit, what we found is that there's about 50 million people in bad actor communities in platforms such as Gab, Telegram, Bicontactia, and Facebook across the planet, 50, let's, 50 million. And they have now a one-step connection into mainstream platforms where you know, the rest of the four billion of us kind of reside. And so there's, there's a natural place for, it's like an incubator, ready to just kind of inject material in. So today, as we're doing this recording, you know, there's a Senate hearing this morning about um, where harms come for 
you know, children, terrible things that um, have, have happened because of um, harm, harmful material. And the debate, again, got into this rhetorical thing. Platforms need to do more. We are doing more. You need to do more. We are doing more. But there's never a discussion of what that looks like online. How can you solve, how can you win a battle if you don't have a map of the battlefield? That was what we set out to find. We found a battle map that looks completely different from what we expected. And we found, unfortunately, that the threat is a direct one now. And that there are these conduits, these highways into the mainstream platform mainstream communities that we all use daily. But the good thing is, positive news of that is we now have a map. And with a map, you can do something. So I always think of it like, imagine you go to the doctor, you, you know, my, my arm hurts. Well, if the doctor doesn't know that, the, you know, if he's kind of guessing, he or she, you know, they're kind of guessing what's going on. Like, well, I, I think I'll treat your ear because maybe that's connected to your, yeah, that, that, that's just guesswork. That, unfortunately, has been a lot of what even the platforms themselves do. Certainly, Congress has been arguing those in those vague terms, but the platforms themselves, a platform like Facebook, it's not in its business model to know what the other platforms are doing. And actually, the first thing I think that one of these smaller platforms would do with Facebook starts digging around to see which communities are, con are connecting to it would be to shut them out. And so nobody has that big map here at GW. The students that I have in my group very cleverly were able to map this out. Wow, that's very impressive. So you did have student help on this um, research? None of my research would be possible without the students. Wow. <laughs> so so the, the two students, uh, Lucia Lari, who is a P, uh, PhD student in physics, and Rick Sear, who was an undergraduate in computer science and physics, and now kept on as a, as, as a research assistant, both in GW, all made, done entirely within GW. Wow. I just get, wake up in the morning and call them up and say, hey, how are you doing? And they go on and carry on with the work. That's amazing. That's very impressive. Um, okay, I have a couple of follow-up questions. Um, you continually refer to bad actors. Mm. What exactly are the characteristics of a bad actor? What might their motives be? Why do these communities exist? Fantastic question. And this gets at the root of what I think is, so I think at GW what we're doing is taking a different approach to everyone else. Everyone's focused on what bad actors do in terms of, oh, it's a bad actor over elections. A bad actor who's trying to influence, uh, you know, COVID uh, discussions. A bad actor in climate, you know, trying to deny climate change and, you know, disrupt things there. The interesting thing is not the what, it's the where. Because the same bad actors get involved with these different topics as they arrive. There will always be a next thing. Mm -hmm but it will be the same kind of people doing it because right. they've already set up their communities and they're already pretty unhappy. That well, they, they think themselves as relatively happy, but they've already kind of convinced themselves in their, um, in their communities that, that you know, they're onto something or that um, they have some kind of power behind them, army behind them, and that, that they can take on the entities that they distrust whether that be 
you know, public health or government or depending on what the topic is. And so really the important thing here is the, um, is looking at the kind of road the map of the, of the streets rather than the individual cars going down them. So yeah, that's what we've been particularly focusing on. Okay, and in your research, you mentioned that the actions of these bad actors could actually pose a threat to the, I believe over 50 national elections mm. in 2024. How can these AI misusers and bad actors have so much power that they actually pose a threat to national security? What yeah. are they doing? <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. You know, I'm all I know anything about, and that's only on a good day, is mm -hmm. physics. So, but I, let's imagine that I know something about, uh, you know, human history. Gotcha. Let's go back to kind of prehistoric times. I don't know when misinformation started, but, you know, maybe down back in the caves or whatever. It's like, well, no, yeah, there's some food over there. No, it's actually over there. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there's always been misinformation and dis should we call it misinformation, disinformation, malin? Who cares? But it's been around. But it's the scale and the speed at which you can now. So I think the internet gave the scale and the speed, except for one thing. In the 2016, 2020 elections, the bots and these things that were meant to be the bad actors, which is really, I think it's sometimes been overplayed. They were, they were run by people who had to, I think, sleep and eat. And so they ended up having human cycles in their behavior. So they'd kind of be active in the day and nothing at night, active in the day, nothing. It was kind of easy to see what they were, what they were doing. You add an AI to that. This is now 24 seven and it can adapt. It's adaptive. That's why I love it. It's so clever. Um, it can adapt to make itself not be repetitive. And the only thing that, programs, including AI itself, can pick up that would indicate machine behavior is something repetitive, because that's not what humans tend to do. Right. Even when we try to repeat things, we don't, you know, I try to exercise regularly. I don't. <laughs> so I'm, my, my patterns are regular, but irregular. That kind of mix, AI can mimic. And so it can do this continually at scale and at sp with speed. So this is the difference. So it's not so much, again, I go back to the, there will always be new misinformation because there'll always be new topics. There'll always be new um, contentious material. The way in which and where it will go and how we can treat it will be the same, irrespective of what it is. Right. So with that, since AI can kind of mimic that human-like pattern, what do we do to stop this? How you kind of mentioned before, you know, the treating the ear instead of the arm or whatever, but how, what do we do to, to combat AI? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, we certainly shouldn't go, go ahead treating the ear. We've got to stop. <laughs> we've got to stop doing that. And, um, and we've got to stop telling Facebook to, to, to treat the ear, you know, and they'll say, well, we're actually treating the leg and then we've got to get to a scientific, Kind, and I don't mean scientific because it's just for science. No, this is the probably the first thing in my lifetime where kind of, I don't want to call them the, the basic sciences because I don't know what basic science and hard science, but let's just say the science has a couple of equations in it and the science that tends to have less equations. 
this is a great time for them to kind of be working together in a way that's, let's just call it, use it evidence-based, data-based to, um, to attack the problem. So back to my students, Lucia and um, Rick simulated. So once you've got, this is the wonderful thing, once you've got, and this is how city planners decide, you know, oh, I'm going to cut off, you know, Pennsylvania Avenue. What's going to happen to the traffic? Oh, no, disaster. It was a simulation that did it. So they simulated what would be the best strategy for dealing with this. And they found something really interesting, again, counterintuitive, because I would have thought, and Congress thinks quite reasonably, well, you've got to remove it. Of course, you've got to remove it. Yeah. But when you try and remove it, the trouble is, let's just take an analogy. It's a little bit like splintering of glass. I don't know if anyone has, I've done it plenty of times, dropped a wine glass. I don't condone drinking or anything like that, but I've held wine glasses and I've dropped them. <laughs> Fortunately, most of them have been empty. Um, what happens when you drop a wine glass? It shatters into lots of pieces. But the important thing of a wine glass is, because of the way it's constructed. There are very large pieces and it goes down into very, very small pieces. And if it's a very expensive wine glass, which is I'm always told off by my wife, they're the ones that I drop, have <laughs> tiny little shards of glass. So if your objective is to remove every piece of glass, you will be forever looking for the tiniest piece of the shard. Now, if you add up the time it takes to so just say one piece, one glass, because of the way it's fractured, takes up all your resources. So one tiny piece, you've spent all your resources on the last tiny shard of glass. That's the similar thing they found in their simulations, that if the goal is to remove, you will spend all your, you will chase down a, sh a, a shard, a, the tiniest piece. You'll leave the big pieces that you didn't have a chance to look at and you haven't got anywhere with the problem. Instead, you've got to go for containment. Now, what does that mean? There's a good side and there's a bad side. Let's deal with the bad news first. I'll have to get the bad <laughs> news out of the way first. So the bad news is containment means, well, I'm not going to reduce it to zero. But as we said earlier in the, in, when we were chatting, maybe there's always been this stuff. This, this stuff is never going to go away. I mean, maybe that's just unrealistic. You know, I'd love all... It'll be, we all want good things, only good things, but that, that's not the way the world works. So by going for the containment option, what, what that gives you is once you set a kind of threshold for the size of the pieces that you want to keep, that, or you're, you're willing to keep, you have a much more controllable system and you can measure how well you've done. You can assign your resources so that you keep it at that level. And you can also contain... So in our map of all these different platforms, 23 platforms, we, from everything from gaming channels through to, like I said, Facebook, Gab, Telegram, everything, how they're all interconnected. Imagine we've got that map in front of us. We can now look, oh, it's like the shattered glass across here. Oh, okay, there's a lot of little shards in this platform. Okay, but I'll leave those because I know it kind of takes a while for it to come out of that platform. And they're kind of, you know, it's a, I'll just leave them there. I'll go for this and then I'll go for these larger pieces here. And that way I know I'm keeping it below a certain level. Of course, I have to tell everyone it's below a certain level, but then everybody knows 
and everybody knows what's out there and everybody knows what and I almost like quantify the risk then rather than well off you go and mm. I've got no idea what you're going to find so um, which is what basically the, the the platforms now say to users you know off you go we've got all these safeguards good luck <laughs> Wow. So it seems it's obviously a very complicated and complex yeah, but <laughs> process. Yeah, hence that they have. <laughs> yes. I love the metaphor, too. That's very, for someone who doesn't know the first thing about AI, that metaphor is very helpful. Oh, right. Great. Um, but so since we've covered now, I guess, how to combat that on a larger scale, I know you've also talked about AI misuse on social media and how that maybe affects an everyday user. As someone that is an everyday user of social media platforms, what can I as an individual or our viewers as individuals do to at least watch out and protect themselves from disinformation or bad actors? I think um, I have a long-term answer to that <laughs> and a short-term A short-term answer, of course, is the standard kind of just be aware we all have to be aware that we're in a, a very connected system. And that's a very, that's kind of, that sounds like a platitude, but I don't mean it in terms of individuals connected to individuals. Um, I mean it in the sense that what you're seeing may have been set up by a community of 100,000 people. So there's 100,000, imagine everything that you see, how, do, do a kind of the um, litmus test. Is it possible that this came from a community of about 100,000 bad actors? And, 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 and the answer might be, you know, mm, yeah, might, yes. Not, it has this come from some particular person who's kind of misguided, no. Is this kind of part of, of, of some kind of bad actor community? And that gives a little bit of kind of skepticism. That's my short answer. My longer answer will never happen, but I, it would be wonderful if that. I don't know if you've heard of this uh, SETI, the kind of search for extraterrestrial life. And the, so, you know, I think NASA and whatever gave up years ago trying to do this what they did instead is they turned it over to the public they said to everybody okay you're an astronomer anytime you see anything let us know you know or we'll use our computer can we use a little bit of your computers you know you, i'm not sure that will that would work but let, let's turn the public into observers because if i need to know what five billion people which is basically the number of people who are using the internet, you know, probably about five and a half billion, but anyway, five billion. If you want to know what five billion people are seeing, you have to ask five billion people. You can't sample it. I'm not a believer in sample. Yeah, five billion, it's five billion. Right. How can I know that? Only if I turn over to the public for them to report everything. Not, not to report, I don't mean I've seen something suspicious or just almost like a, those who are willing kind of like a, a diary of what they're seeing, little events, little things that they're seeing that they report online, not to the platforms, but to some larger base that then becomes almost like this kind of oracle of what's actually happening on the internet. How would that be managed? Who would manage it? Who's gonna pay for it? No idea. But I see that as the only solution. Until that happens, which it never will, <laughs> Actually, I think GW, here at GW, we're the only ones that have this. I don't know. I've said this at conferences. Mm -hmm. This is a, and anyone listening to this, you, you're hearing this from someone who's kind of got away with it. And I'll tell you what, <laughs> I, we, we did a literature search. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, and everyone here knows what literature search, how painful that can be. Yeah. Who has a map of the internet? 
oh, so lots of people claim it. And then we found some companies that claim it and we go on and on. So I just decided at conference, I would stand up and say, this is the first map of the internet. And, you know, I, I remember the students saying to me, well, you know, it's a bit, that's a little bit risky. So, <laughs> you know, three years, five years later, nobody, I've been, I've talked to many, I've talked in the State Department, talked in, you know, in front of them, you name it, I've talked in front of them, here and overseas. Um, nobody's turned around and said, I mean, some people have turned around and said, well, we've tried to map it. Yeah, okay, show me, you show me your map, I'll show you mine. <laughs> Never get the map. Mm-hmm. So yeah, no, I you know, some in some sense we're on to a good thing here at GW. That's awesome. That's very revolutionary, you could say. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> I think so. Awesome. All right. Well, I guess perfect transition over. I did also want to ask you about the Chat GPT debate of GW sure. college campuses all over. Um, there has that's been a huge controversy within the last year as. AI has become more accessible to the everyday person through platforms such as ChatGPT. Mm. And so with your research on bad actors and misuse of AI, do you see that affecting higher education or do you see these bad actors possibly targeting the sphere of higher education? Um, I'm, I'm pretty positive on that, actually. Mm-hmm. I love ChatGPT. I mean, it is my extra research help mm-hmm. i think it's better than me actually <laughs> although i shouldn't say that because then i lose my job but um but uh, i i love chat gpt i use it for you know i use it for everything i use it to help me write code i use it to f- help me find papers i all the time i'm mm-hmm. using it um and i think everybody should use it as long as it doesn't violate whatever rules that gw has and right. all this kind of thing but in general i mean how can you it's like i'm gonna i mean you know I'll never get in a car. Well, why, why aren't you going to get cars exist? Get in a car. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm a great believer in it. Would bad actors um, pay? Co- I think as long as it stays open source, mm-hmm. then we're okay. Mm-hmm. My worry is if it starts to get in some kind of closed system. My, my, my deeper concern about it is that we don't really understand why it works the way that it does and that we're working on that that gets into more kind of tech physics talk because we're trying to build a model of how it actually gets its abilities but that's kind of a yeah an extra extra topic but i'm actually positive i don't think that that, um i don't at the moment we 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 don't see any indication in our um, our searching that, that that would be a bad thing right my next question actually was, do you allow your students to use ChatGPT? Are you, you pro-student use of ChatGPT? Yeah, I mean, I know, of course, you know, within GW, <laughs> yes. guidelines and all those kinds of things. You know, it's like, would I get in a plane where the pilot had only ever used autopilot? Well, as long as the autopilot works, yeah. that's great. Yeah, yeah, sure, I will. Um, but if the pilot, if if she has never flown a plane without autopilot, I'd like to know that, you know, he or she knows how to manually fly it as well. Mm. So in tests and exams, I can see reasons for not using, not allowing it and all this kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I, I, I just embrace tech when it comes, you know, I'm, I'm an old guy now, you know, but I, I, I wish this had been around when I was, you know, when I was going through my career. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I know I, I overheard someone the other day compare the whole chat GPT kind of scare to 
the Wikipedia scare yeah. when it first came out. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Exactly the same. Yeah. And yet we could, you know, we could, I have to say, you know, I'm in a physics field that is very, oh, I've got to choose a very careful word <laughs> here now. I've got to be, um, well, it's very proud of itself, okay. the physics field. I don't mean Jugonia, but I mean the physics field internationally. Very proud of mm -hmm. their, they're very clear to say what physics isn't and what, you know, what isn't physics and what is physics. Anyway, in the beginning, no, Wikipedia is terrible for physics. No, Wikipedia is better than any textbook that I know because people update it. Mm -hmm. People get, And every textbook I know has errors in it. Mm -hmm. I don't know a textbook that doesn't have an error in it. And I've written a couple of textbooks, and I know there are a couple of errors in them. So um, Wikipedia has got so good that I use Wikipedia for a lot of my physics you know, looking at rather than looking it up in a textbook. Right. So yeah, no, I think it's a wonderful time to be a student. You've got Wikipedia, you can rely on it as much as a textbook, I think, in my opinion. And you've got ChatGPT. I mean, it's, that's wonderful. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Fantastic questions. Thank yes, you. I appreciate that. All right. Anyone well, wants to be a physicist, just contact me. Oh, contact for me. sure. Yeah. For sure. Well, that's all we have for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. And special thank you to Professor Johnson for joining us and to the GW Hatchet video team. We will see you next week. Thank you.